Amen. If you have your Bibles today, we're turning this morning to the book of Matthew, first chapter. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I want to begin reading in the very first verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. Would you stand to your feet as we reverence God's word this morning? I know we've been standing and sitting, standing and sitting. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brethren, and Judah begot Phares and Zerah of Tamar. And Phares begot Esram, and Esram begot Aram, and Aram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Naasan, and Naasan begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. We'll stop reading there. Go all the way down to verse number 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now in these first six verses, you're going to see something that's very unusual. You're going to see most of the time in Jewish ancestry, it's that the father begot a son and he begot a grandson and so on and so forth. But in these verses... There are some ladies that are mentioned. I understand them being mentioned in Jewish ancestry if they're royalty, if they're the Biltmore Vanderbilts, if they're kings or queens and all these things. But it says in verse 3, think about Tamar. She was just a sinner that got saved by grace. And when you look down here in verse number 5, you're going to see Rahab. We remember the Bible says she was a harlot. We remember verse number six says of her that had been the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. We know about David and Bathsheba. These are things that's happened that you and I would like to keep quiet. But God took the adversity, the problems and the troubles in their life and turned it around and made a testimony of grace. And in verse number five, we say that Boaz begot Obed of Ruth. And I want to preach today about Ruth, and I want to preach on this thought, the testimony of grace, the testimony of grace. Father, would you help us to preach then this morning? Use us, fill us with the Holy Spirit, God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So here is Ruth in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ along with Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba. When I turn back my Bible to the book of Ruth, I'm just assuming that you know some things about Ruth, we're going to turn to Ruth chapter 1. and verse number 1, the Bible says it came to pass when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. When the judges ruled, what, what does that mean? When the judges ruled, that means there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So there's an absence of a real ruler over the land, and there's an absence of righteousness in their lives. And I'll be honest, it's 
kind of very comparing to where we are today because people do that which is right in their own eyes all the time now. And the Bible says that there was a famine in the land. So the tragic condition that resulted from this apostasy that's going on was there was a famine in the land. A land that once flowed with milk and honey has famine in the land. And famines are oftentimes of God's chastisement or of God's displeasure. We meet in verse number two a man by the name of Elimelech. The name Elimelech means my God is king. He has a wife. Her name is Naomi. Her name means pleasant. So my God is king and pleasant. They've gotten married and they have two sons. They have two boys named Malon and Chilion. And they're living in the region called Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, the house. Beth means house of bread. And Judah means praise. So the house of bread and praise. But the famine has come to the house of bread and of praise. And the Bible says in verse 2 at the end of the verse that they went to sojourn in the land of Moab. They came into the country of Moab and they continued there. Moab. So they left Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab. My Bible says in Psalm 108 verse 9, God says, Moab is my wash pot. What is a wash pot? For some of us, it's older. I can remember my grandparents didn't have running water in the house. And so they would go up there to the spring and they'd fetch them a thing of water to wash their hands with or to cook with or whatever. And so they'd put soap all over their hands and they'd pour that pan of water on their hands. And what they'd do is they'd put it a catch basin. And that wash pot was the catch basin that got all the, the dirt and all the dirty things that was on their hands. And you'd catch that with a wash pot and you'd take it and you'd throw it away. Or some people would take that big pot of water and they'd just put their hands in it and wash like this and wash like this. And the next thing you know, it's completely dirty. You'd still throw it away. God just said about Moab that Moab is my wash pot. And here's a man, Elimelech, my God is king. Naomi, pleasant, taking their two boys. And they said, we are in a famine. We've got to go somewhere different without the leading of the Holy Spirit, not being in the will of God. They go to the wash pots of this world. Boy, families do this all the time. The Bible says in verse 3 that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Verse 3. He died. And she was left of her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. So 10 years of time passes. They just went there to go on vacation. They went there to sojourn. Just stay a little while. And now Elimelech dies out of the will of God. He's buried there in Moab. His two boys, Malon and Chilion, says, we have no desire to go back to that famine. So they meet beautiful ladies, Moabite ladies, Orpah and Ruth, and they get married. And the next thing you know, both the boys die. So now we see three graves in Moab. Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion. And we see three widows, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. The Bible says in verse number six, then she arose with her daughters, or verse number, verse number five, Malon and Chilion died also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. She looks and she says to Orpah, she says to Ruth, she says, ladies, I don't have any other boys. You are Moabite girls, you need to stay in Moab. But as for me, I'm not staying in Moab. I'm going back to the land of Bethlehem, Judah, where I grew up, where God's people are. That's where I'm going. So Orpah and Ruth start to go with her. And Naomi stops again and says, listen, y'all need to stay here in Moab. 
This is where your people are. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law on the cheek and goes back to Moab. Ruth says, entreat me not to leave thee. You've been better to me than anybody else. I'm going with you. And so here they go together towards Bethlehem. Look at verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Lord hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, here Naomi comes back, and she says, I went out full, and I came home empty. When she left Bethlehem, she had a husband. She had two boys, but now she comes back, She feels like she's lost everything. She feels like she has nothing. I want to speak to somebody this morning. You've gone through trials, storms, difficulties, hardships. Christmas for you is difficult. Christmas for you is sad. My little brother passed away a few years ago and there's an empty place at our table. And Christmas, while it's wonderful, can be filled with some hardships and some difficulties. And some of you, you feel like that you're completely empty. You feel like God's abandoned you somewhere along the way. You you feel like somehow God has turned against you. You, you, You're not seeing what God is actually doing in your life. You're just seeing the results. And sometimes, will you hear me for a second? Sometimes the testimony that we give about what we think God is doing is not a good testimony. And I want to hear this morning from four people in this text the testimony of what God is doing. And I want you to examine your life to see are these testimonies at work in my life today? Number one, they'll all start with the letter W. Number one, I want us to think about the testimony of a wandering saint. Here's Naomi. She and her husband left Bethlehem, Judah, and they wandered down to Moab, which is a wash pot. And her husband and her two children die. And my Bible says in verse number 20, Naomi's words exactly, the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Did you hear what the wandering saint said? The Almighty. When you think of that capital A word, Almighty, you think of the power of God. And you and I, we rejoice in the power of God. All power belongs to God. I rejoice in the power of God. He said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. So you can rejoice in the power of God unless, unless you feel like all that power is turned against you. She feels like God has turned all his power against her. I've lost my husband. I've lost my sons. I've lost my possessions. I've lost my land. And she's blaming it all on God. The Bible tells me about, uh, I'm thinking about uh, the bitterness in her life. When Israel was in bondage to Egypt, this is what they said. That the Egyptians made their lives bitter 
with hard bondage. That the Egyptians made their lives bitter. She just said the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She said God has turned all his power against me and he has afflicted me. He has brought problems into my life and he's treating me like the Egyptians treated our forefathers. That God has turned all his power to make her to become bitter. What a testimony. Look what else she says in verse 21. She says, uh, seeing the Lord, middle of the verse, hath testified against me. The Lord's testified against her. What does that mean? Well, I think two ways. I think about her countenance. Ten years living outside the will of God left a mark on her countenance to where the people said, is this Naomi? The one we called pleasant? What a different sin has made in her life. When you go through, the, how many of y'all know when you go through some things, it'll make a difference in your appearance, in your countenance. You may not like what I'm going to say here, but Abraham Lincoln made this statement one time about a man who, had, who was applying for a position. Abraham said, we're not giving that, that, Mr. Lincoln said, we're not giving that position to him because I don't like his face. He said, what do you mean you don't like his face? How can someone... Why can you not hire someone because of their face? He said, every man or woman over 40 is responsible for their countenance. And he said, that man is not trustworthy. You can see it all over him. Now I want to say to you, what does your countenance tell about you? I've gone through some things in my life. I can remember standing in front of the school loading up children the other day and I had a parent say to me, said, preacher, are you all right? Because your countenance tells me you're going through something right now. And I'm looking at you this morning and your countenance bears witness that you're going through something today. Is this Naomi, they said. She says, the Lord has testified against me by my countenance. What else? The second reason. What about her companion? Who's with her? Ruth. Ruth is the evidence of her sin. No wonder she said, Orpah, Ruth, you girls stay here. Don't go with me. Marry Moabite boys. You're from Moab. Orpah decided, okay, you're right, I'll stay. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. And, and again, Naomi did not want her to go because if Ruth goes with Naomi, Ruth standing there is a witness that they've been out of the will of God, that they've been living in Moab, that, that her son had married a, Moab, a Moabite girl, which was forbidden for a Jew to do. And so here this girl is a witness or the evidence of her sin. Naomi tried her best. What about a saint of God trying to talk somebody out of getting saved? That's what she did. That's the testimony of a wandering saint. She says the third thing. Look with me in verse number 21. Again, the Almighty speaks of his power. He has afflicted me. What does the word afflicted mean? Oh, preacher, hardships, problems, difficulties. I want to give it to you the way a Jew understands it. About Jesus, it was said, as he was going to the cross, Isaiah 53, that great messianic psalm says this, we did esteem him smitten of God and afflicted. What does that word mean? It indicates a special judgment from God. In other words, he went to the cross to die, leaving no seed. 
having no children. This woman, when she died, she has, or, or, or when her husband died, and now her children died, when she comes back, she has no children. Why has she lost her son and her two boys? It can only be one reason, the judgment of God on her life. And she is the one that said, the judgment of God is on me. He has afflicted me. Now, Naomi said, I have a special judgment of me on me. And God has brought me home again empty. What a testimony that this saint of God, this woman who ought to be rejoicing, growing up in years serving God, she ought to be thanking God for what he's done. But instead, she said, God is against me. The testimony of a wandering saint. May I say that sometimes we feel like God has taken something from us. We feel like God has turned against us. We, it, it, it's, it's not a good testimony, but it's what Naomi feels in her heart. Job made this statement. I mean, here's a man who lost, he, he was bereaved of 10 children. He was bankrupt of all his possession. He had bulls on his, bodies, on his body. His buddy said, cuss God and die. I, or uh, his bride said, cuss God and die. His buddy said, God did this to you because you're under special judgment. And Job, through all this, through all this, he still blessed God. Naked came out from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. But what shall I do? He said, I'm going to praise God. I'm going I'm to thank God for all these. But later on in the book, Job makes this statement. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. In other words, I want to declare my case. God, where were you when my children died? God, I've tried to serve you. Where were you, God, when I lost everything? God, where were you? I'm talking to somebody today. God, where are you at, my loved one's sick? God, where are you at? We can't pay our bills. God, where are you? I'm talking about some saints of God that are wondering today. I have a second testimony from these texts that I want you to see. I believe second of all, probably most importantly, is a working Savior. Again in verse number 20, Naomi, she's saying that sin has caused this. I'm cut off and, and she said, I'm afflicted, I, I'm, I'm empty. Look what she said in verse 20. She says, uh, she said to them, call me not Naomi. Her, her name means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. The name Mara means bitter. She, she's going through things she thought she'd never go through. Verse 21, she said, I went out full and I've come home empty. The Lord has brought me home empty. Oh my. She doesn't understand what's going on in her life. Neither do you. I've heard some wandering saints give testimony. And it's not been the most pleasing. But let's hear what the working Savior, the Spirit of God, let's hear what he has to say, okay? Verse 20, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Verse 22, now, how many of y'all know that the writer, the author of the Word of God is really the Holy Ghost? Amen. You, you may say, preacher, Darren, I, I think it's David, I think it's Jeremiah, I think it's Ezekiel, I think it's Daniel. Well, I went to see a man one time who tried to drive his car off, jump off rock, to commit suicide, and his car got caught on a tree and wedged there. He broke his leg. I went to see him at the hospital. He said, there ain't no God. I don't believe the word of God. And I said, well, okay, let me talk to you for a second. 
he had a pen laying there. I said, pick up that pen, write a letter A. He formed the letter A. And I said, wow, that pen did a great job. Wow. He said, that pen did not do it by itself. I'm the one that made A. I said, no, 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 I saw it. It was that pen. Is there something special about that pen? Let me see that pen. Can I have your pen? I want that pen because that pen writes better than any other pen I've ever seen. He said, sir, that pen had nothing to do with it. I picked the pen up. I'm the one made the pen move. That's what God did when he picked up a David or a Daniel and said, I want you to write my word, he picked up a man and he wrote with it. Amen. Amen? That's exactly what he did. And the Holy Ghost is our author. Naomi's come back. She went out full. She's come home empty. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I am bitter. Verse 22, the Holy Ghost being our writer. So Naomi returned. You know what the Holy Ghost called her? When she said, call me bitter, call me afflicted, call me smitten of God, the Holy Ghost said, I still see you as pleasant. Hey, man, I still see you, Lord of God. And you, think you, you think you've went out empty? Or you, you think you went out full and you think you've come home empty? But the truth of the matter is, you went out empty and you've come home full. You just don't realize, girl, how full you are. I want to tell somebody today. Preacher, you can't jump on a pew. I just did. You don't know how full you really are. You're looking around for all the things you've lost and all the things that you think the world has taken from you. But honey, I want to tell you something. If you look around, you've really got a lot more than you realize. Hey, man. You got your Bible? Look at verse 19. Hey, Naomi, Look. You may feel like you're empty, but you're not in Moab anymore. They went, the two went, until they came to Bethlehem. Amen. She's not in Moab anymore. She's in Bethlehem. She's in the house of bread. She is in the house of praise. Thank God for that. Hey, God has taken some things out of her life that were keeping her out of the will of God. Moab was keeping her out of the will of God. And God took those things away to get her back into the will of God. If you'll think for, some, for a second this morning, <clears throat> I'm talking to somebody, I don't know who you are. You hear this little boy very clearly. You think that there's something removed from your life that you just cannot live without. <laughs> and God has just taken that away because that thing is keeping you from and out of the will of God for your life. And may I say this, in chapter one, Naomi standing there may be a reminder of Naomi's problems. But look with me here in verse number 22. Verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. She may be a reminder of a problem. But if you'll turn your Bible to chapter four, just, just look with me. Chapter 4, Ruth met a redeemer by the name of Boaz and she gets married. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, she was his wife, he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman that may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life 
a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, and became nurse to it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse and the father of David. Look what your Bible says at verse 17. It did not say there is a son born to Ruth. It said there's a son born to Naomi. Preacher, what happened? Was the Holy Ghost confused? No, Naomi. She said, I went out full and I've come home empty. This girl's a reminder of my sin. No, buddy. This girl is going to be a blessing to you and she's going to allow you to continue your family. Hey, Brother Kenneth, Fisher, stand up. Brother Kenneth's boy and Miss Patty, their boy married my girl, Shelby. Me and Miss Gina's girl, Shelby. And guess what, Brother Kenneth? Me and you've got a grandson, a granddaughter. Her name is Isla. We may have grandchildren even further one of these days. Guess what? You and me, what rejoicing that's been for us to have little Isla. What a joy that's been. She's been like new life to me and you. I seen a spark of that old boy right there. He's like, woo, look at her preacher. Showing me little videos of her walking around and smiling, doing crazy stuff. Hey, just, hey can I get a witness? Nate, nothing like a grand youngin. I seen a lady the other day, you can sit back down, Kenneth. She had a t-shirt on that said, Grandma is my name and spoiling is my game. <laughs> How many of y'all got grand youngins? Woo, ain't nothing like them. Now I'm starting to figure out. My mama said, she said to me, she, she said, son, she said, when, 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 when we had Luke and Shelby, she said, there's nothing like them. She said, if, I, if I'd have known this, I'd have had them first. <laughs> and something's happened to my mother. I mean, used to, you, you couldn't kick the ball in the house. You can't play ball in the house. You can't do that. You're scuffing up the carpet. Now, them grand youngins come in there doing whatever, and she's like, go ahead, kick it again. Kick it over here. Throw it, throw it to me. <laughs> what has happened to my mother? Always thought, what happened? Mom, now I'm getting it. Now I'm getting it, amen. And that's the way Naomi felt about little Obed who had Jesse who's going to have King David. Hallelujah. I think I'm empty, but God's blessed me more than I thought he had. I just want to tell you something today. You may look around and see all the things you think you lost, but the Holy Ghost is working in your life. And I'm telling you, you've not seen the end yet. You're looking at the beginning of this thing. But God's got a plan, and he's going to do something wonderful. Amen. Do you trust him? Yes, Hallelujah to God. Amen. I get excited. I can't help it. Amen. Go back with me to the book of Ruth, chapter number one. Now, We've seen Ruth the Moabitess is with her. There's a third thing, verse 22. So Naomi returned, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, if they had come later, they would have starved to death. If they had come much earlier, they'd have been hungry. <clears throat> but they came home right on time. At the beginning of the barley harvest. Preacher, what is the beginning of the barley harvest? Well, the first thing they do is they have this offering uh, called uh, the Passover. And they take the lamb, 
They slay the lamb, and then when they do that, the Passover, they offer their first fruits unto God, and they wave the first fruits. They say, Lord, if this harvest is pleasing in your sight, will you accept all the rest of it to come with us? Jesus is our first fruits. <laughs> he says, Father, if I'm acceptable in your sight, I want you to accept all these that come with me. That's the beginning of the barley harvest. And God has a law, the law of the gleaner, that people could come work in the corner of your field and whatever they pick up, whatever's there. Or if you're out harvesting and you're harvesting and if you say, oops, and something falls on the ground, you're not allowed to pick it up. That belongs to the hungry, the stranger. God, listen, Boaz said, let handfuls of purpose fall for her. Get her away just from the corner of the field. Let her come to the center of the field. Oops. Sometimes have you ever had God just say, oops, Oops, I want to run, y'all. God has given me blessing after blessing after blessing. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't worthy. And God just says, oops, that's my grace. Pick that up. Woo, hallelujah to God. God's been good to us. And just, when, listen, you think you're coming home. Listen, just at God's exact right time in your life, he is doing it right now. That's a testimony of grace. A working Savior is working in your life, you, you, the hand of God is actively working in your life. You just don't see it, but it's there. Thirdly, <clears throat> what about the testimony of a wayward sinner? <clears throat> Ruth is a Moabitess. She is a Gentile. She is a stranger to the covenant of promise. She, she married a boy that moved to Moab from out of town. Her husband got sick after just a little bit of marriage, and he died. Now she's a widow. And when she wants to go with her mother-in-law, who's been so good to her, her mother-in-law says, no, you girls stay here. And she saw her sister-in-law, listen to this, her sister-in-law, Orpah, had the same problem she had. They're both widowed. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, went back, and Ruth said, no, I'm gonna go with you. In fact, I want to read it. Look with me. She says in verse 16, Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God. You see, Ruth made a decision to go with God. I've heard it said, and I looked it up on the internet, that adversity builds character. What does it kill you? Well, make you stronger. But I really think that adversity reveals the need in our life. Adversity to Orpah, she went home. Some people, adversity, they get bitter. They turn away. But for Ruth, her adversity didn't make her bitter. It made her better. He revealed to her her need. Look with me again. She, she said, thy people shall be my people. Thy God shall be my God. Here, listen, in my, hear me for a second. In Moab, she had a God. His name was Chemosh. But her God, Chemosh, couldn't do anything about her adversity. She said, my God is not good enough. Adversity has taught me that my God's not good enough. 
but your God is. And I'm going to go with your God, the Almighty God. She said, I've got a people, my people, but they've not helped me with adversity. But there's just something about you people, you peculiar people, you, you Christian people, you, you saints of God. You've been better to me than anybody else. You told me about God, and I think, girl, I'm just going to go with you. Well, hallelujah. Well, look with me in chapter 2. Getting ahead of myself here. But in chapter 2, verse number 2, Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. What about that? She said, Down there in Moab, there's no I didn't have no grace there. But I've got here, and I get in that field of gleaning. I shall find grace. Guess who she met? Boaz, the Redeemer. And when she met him, look at verse 10. She fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing that I am a stranger? What about that? Adversity's happened to you. It's been bad. Opposition. You're struggling. You feel empty. Do you feel like God's abandoned you? I want to say this to you. God's not trying to hurt you. God's allowed that adversity to come in your life to get you to a place that you're not satisfied where you are. To get you to where you need to be. I'm just thinking. In the scriptures, Adam and Eve was in the garden and they sinned against God. And God put a, uh, God put a curse on the serpent, said you're going to crawl on your belly all days of your life, going to eat the dust. He, he put a curse on the ground. You know why I think God cursed the ground? Because we'd have to work by the sweat of our brow? Well, maybe. I think it's more than that. I think God cursed the ground so that Adam and Eve never got satisfied here. So they'd be looking for something better. A country where there's no curse. God has allowed adversity to come in your life to cause you to become dissatisfied where you are that you might look to Him, that you might turn to Him, that you might desire to be with Him. And you can say, I've got adversity, preacher. I feel empty. But I know this, I shall find grace. On July 13, 1978, I sat in a Baptist church with three 350 people, most of whom I did not know. We were visiting there that night, and the preacher preached. I'd been under conviction for a, probably a week or two anyway. And that night, when the invitation was given, I knew I needed to step out. I was white-knuckling. I was holding the back of the pew. My heart was beating out of my chest. I was wiggling everywhere like, would you please just let me go? When he gave that invitation, and I didn't go, and the pastor got up and started dismiss, and the evangelist went back and said, wait a minute, pastor, before you send him home, there's a lab here. This is your last chance, son. Why don't you give Jesus a try right now? And I looked at my daddy, and I said, daddy, I got to go. 
And I jumped over two people that had me pinned in and I took off down the aisleway and I got right beside the front row and my knees buckled under the weight of sin and I bowed there. And I'm telling you, I thought I had to be in the altar and there's nobody in the altar. And I said, oh, I didn't make it. I tried to get there, but I've collapsed. I, I, could, I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. My daddy came down, put his hand on my back. He said, son, what's wrong? I said, daddy, I needed to be saved, but I didn't make it. He said, what do you mean, son? You I said, daddy, I didn't get to the altar. Can you get me to the altar? Dad said, son, I've got good news for you. You might couldn't get to him, but he's come to you. I reckon he did. He left the splendor of glory, took upon himself a cross, shed his blood that I might be saved, was lowered in a grave, raised again, and then convicted me that night and came where I was and loved me and lifted me and saved my soul. Oh my. That's the testimony of a wayward saint, a working savior, and it's the testimony... Uh, 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 excuse me, of a, of a wandering saint and a working Savior. And now that's a testimony of a, what's, what's, my, what's my term here, what I say it was? It was a, a wayward sinner. Fourthly, and I'll be done. I go back to verse 6, and I can't get past this. Fourthly, there is a witnessing stranger. My Bible says, while this woman, Naomi, is living there with her two daughter-in-laws, two, three women together, Verse 6 says, she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. Somebody, she heard, somebody came and told her that though Bethlehem was in a famine, it ain't no more. That God's a blessing there and God's a working there. So some witnessing stranger had to come by and begin to tell about God's preeminent glory. Look what he called him. How that the Lord, look at it, look at the word. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah God, how the Lord, he's given him his preeminent glory. Look what he's done, his persistent grace. How he had visited his people. His people, they're a particular, peculiar group. And given them bread given presents and gifts a witnessing stranger. I, I don't know how it happened, but in my mind, let, let's just, let's write a play about it. This guy, he's a businessman from Bethlehem, Judah. And he's traveling, selling maybe pots and pans. And he's in the region of Moab. And he goes up to the innkeeper and he says, hey, I like a room as I pass through. Oh, friend, yes, we have rooms. Sign your name here. We'll give you the key to the room. Where are you from, friend? He's, I'm from Bethlehem, Judah. Really? Wow, that's crazy. We got a family moved here. I don't know. Seemed like about 10 years ago. Named Naomi. Moved from Bethlehem, Judah. Really? A girl from Bethlehem, Judah is here in Moab? Yeah, I've been here about 10 years. And Man, bad luck hit her. Bad luck, yeah. Her husband died. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, her boys got married. Thought maybe they'd have a Good time here in Moab, but then both of them died. It's a mystery, man. We Three widows and three graves in Moab. I understand it. He said, man, you know where that lady lives? I'd like to go visit her and maybe see if I know her. Oh, yeah, yeah, she lives down. Told where she lived. He went and checked his stuff in his room. He comes back out and he goes to find, gets his GPS, Googles it up. That's her address right there. I go knock on the door. Hello? 
Hello, I, I'm, a, I'm a traveling salesman. I sell pots and pans. Oh, we don't need any. No, 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 no. I'm not here to sell you no, none of my pots or pans. I'm here to ask you, are, are you Naomi from Bethlehem, Judah? Yes, sir, I am. Can I ask you, girl, why you here? Why are you here? It's a washpot. Look at the sin in this place. It's a terrible place to raise a family. Why are you here? She said, oh, sir, there was a famine. Oh, it was bad. We, we went through some very hard times. And my husband, Elimelech, thought it would be better if we moved here. And we weren't moving here to stay, but, but we moved here. And you know things happen. Life happens. And, and we're just here. And while we're here, my husband died. How I loved him. We was married 20 years. He's good to me. And now I want to go home, but I've got two boys here. And the boys, well, they're dating girls from Moab. And I tried to get them to break up with them. But they said, no, 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 no. We, we became Facebook friends and we Snapchat friends. We Instagram friends. And oh, mama, we ain't leaving. We love, well, these girls are good to us. Their family's good to us. And guess what? Both my boys got married. Well, I'd like to meet them. You can't because both of them's dead too. And now I've got no reason to stay here. But I can't go home because there's a famine. And I've lost all my land. We're bankrupt. And I've lost all my possessions. And she says, sir, if you could just help me because... I don't know where to go. Moab's not my home. Bethlehem, Judah's in a famine, and I've lost everything I own there. I can't go back. Sir, I don't know what I'm going to do. And whoever this person was, I call him a witness and stranger. He says, Miss Naomi, can I tell you that God has blessed his people, and he's give them bread. There is such a harvest in Bethlehem, Judah now, we have never seen anything like it. The people are praising God. They're rejoicing. They're having a time there. Girl, it's time that you decided you're going to go home and get back in the grace of God. It's met you today. And Naomi, woo-wee, that wandering saint, she says, that's all I needed to hear. Thank you for telling me. She goes and she starts packing up. Orpen Ruth come in and say, Mom, what you doing? I'm leaving, girls. Where are you going? I, I'm going back to church. I'm, <laughs> Lord of God, I'll preach. I'm, I'm going back to the house of God. I, I'm going back to serving the Lord again. I used to serve God, and for 10 years, I've not been serving God. Look what's happened. I'm going to start serving God again. Ruth and Orpen said, well, you're going, going with you. No, 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 now, girls, now listen. This really ain't for y'all. You Moabite girls, you young girls, marry your people Orpah says, you've, you've convinced me. I'm staying. But Ruth said, oh, no. Treat me not to leave you. Where you go, I'll go. Your people be my people. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. Your God will be my God. I'm going with you. And they came all the way back to Bethlehem, Judah. Those wayward, that little wayward sinner girl. Ooh-wee. This, this wandering saint of God. And they got to experience the working Savior. And look what God did. All the adversity, all the hardships, all the difficulties... Look how God turned all of that out for their good and his glory. Help me, Holy Ghost. I prayed. I wake up during the night. I'm preaching in the morning. Help me, Lord. I'm preaching in the morning, Lord. Help me in the morning. This is what I'm asking to help me do. God, would you let me go to the church that I love so much? And everybody that you send to me today to preach to, would you let me be a witness and stranger? 
I've just pulled up to your door. Are you, are you a wondering saint? Let me tell you, God's got blessings for you. Back at the house of God, God's got blessings for you. Back in service to Him and all you. Preacher, what have I got to do? All you got to do is go home. All you got to do is go home. They'll receive you. God's got a redeemer waiting there to help you. Maybe today, maybe you're a wayward sinner. You've never been saved. Here I am, this witness is stranger. It doesn't matter who I am. It does not matter who I am. I'm just pointing you to Jesus. That's all my job today is, is to tell you that Jesus can save you. If you'd come to him, he'd save your soul right where you are. You'd get to go to heaven. May I just be a witness and stranger and tell you, you think you're empty. You think you have a lot of problems. But God really looks at you and says, you're pleasant. I love you and I see you as full. You stand to your feet this morning. Some of you, you, you think this is the end. Seth, if you come play. You think this is the end. May I say this? It's not the end. It's the beginning of what God's going to do in your life. I'm asking for somebody today. Would you join me up here to this altar and say, Lord, I want to thank you. Lord, I remember when you took me back. Lord, I remember when I was a wandering saint. Lord, I remember when I was a wayward sinner. Lord, I've seen a working Savior in my life. Maybe there's somebody here say, God, let me be a witness and stranger to somebody. God, let me tell somebody of the goodness of God at work in my life. Would you come right now? Folks are moving. God bless you. Folks are moving. All around. This morning, this morning. Hallelujah. God, help me be a witness and stranger. Amen. Your head's still bowed. There's nobody looking. Maybe you're in the altar and maybe you're still in the congregation. I don't know. But if you're here and you don't know that if today God was to require your soul, car wreck, heart attack, whatever it is you know that you might not go to heaven don't you want to go with me don't you want to go to heaven the hand of God is at work I'm telling you he died to save you shed his blood don't let it be in vain in your life say somebody here you'd raise your hand and say preacher I'm an altar preacher right now I'm in the congregation I want to raise I'll not embarrass you I promise put your hand up put it right back down say anybody I've asked God to save somebody I believe he will Anybody? Anybody? Preacher Darren, I'm saved. But I'll be honest, I'm wondering in my life. There's been some wondering. Wondering in my mind, wondering in my heart. Preacher, would you pray for me? Slip up your hand right back down. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And you and you. And you. And you. And you. Father, as we bow in your presence this morning, during this Christmas season, Lord, I thank you for these that are assembled today. And I thank you for the Word of God, the testimony of grace, how you included Ruth, that Moabitess, in the lineage of Christ, is exactly how you've included me. (laughs) You shed your blood to forgive my sins 
and to make us one. And Lord, I want to tell you I love you today. And God, there's some folks today that are standing and some that are bowing. They've got adversity, hardships, difficulties. Lord, they look around right now and they see, all they see is God's abandoned me. God's against me. God's afflicted me. God's dealt bitterly with me. And they can't really see that really you love them and you see them as pleasant. And God, they see themselves as empty. Woo! And you see them as full. Woo! And God, right now, they don't see any hope of how this could ever turn around. And God, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I only to wait and watch the working Savior put His hand upon situations and begin to work and turn it into the biggest blessing of their entire lives. What they thought would take them under has been what pushed them up higher. God, would you bless them to see it, Lord. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Help us to be witnessing strangers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.